Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. Today we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 53, Rob Font versus Marlon Chito Vera, and it's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Two top bantamweight contenders trying to make a uh, trying to stake a claim for a potential title shot. I mean, you got Rob Font who arguably has some of the best boxing in the bantamweight division, if not the best. And then Marlon Chito Vera, just a Latino gangster, man. This is a guy who is a bona fide finisher. I mean, he has the most finishes in UFC bantamweight history. And this really should be an epic five-round main event. And I'm so glad it's five rounds because I can't tell you how long I've been waiting for Marlon Chito Vera to have these five-round fights because... If you go back and you watch some of these fights and you just start them on round three, dude looks world-class, man. I mean, you start that Brad Pickett fight on round three, Cheeto looks world-class. You start that John Lineker fight on round three, Cheeto looks world-class. You start that Song Dong fight on round three, Cheeto looks world-class. So I can go on. You know, obviously there's um, some exceptions like the Aldo fight where he got his back taken, but I feel like... This is one of those dudes I've been waiting a long time to see him in five-round fights. Similar to, uh, actually, Bilal. Even though they fight nothing alike, Bilal was a guy that I've been wanting to see in five-round fights because he breaks dudes. Cheeto's a guy I've been wanting to see in five-round fights because he breaks dudes. But you can't take anything away from a guy like Rob Font, man. I mean, if these two were to just put on the headgear and the boxing gloves, no kicks allowed, no takedowns, no nothing, I mean, Rob Font's winning that all day, right? But... This is an MMA fight. There is no headgear. There's four-ounce gloves. You got two extra rounds to work with. Now, Rob Font's coming off, actually, a couple main event appearances. So, technically speaking, he's got the five-round experience here. But, I mean, if you heard Cheeto on Joe Rogan, he talked about how this dude is out here running 13 miles. I mean, you know what I mean? Running two miles is enough for me. Running fucking 13 miles and. Like that just speaks volumes to what this dude is capable of in deep waters. And I know he's going to shine in that kind of fight. But the thing is, Rob Font, man, I mean, when you talk about one of the slickest jabs in the entire division, when you talk about the timing of his punches and let's not sleep on the other aspects of his game either. He's been adding takedowns. I know he's been working his jujitsu. Plus, I love uh, Rob Font's coach, Tyson Chartier. I mean, those dudes go into detail. Tyson Chartier and even his main training partner, Calvin Cater, who's, you know, a top five featherweight. Like, these guys put in their homework, man. Um, you should see some of the game plans and scouting reports that Tyson Chartier puts into um, his fighters' opponents, man. Like, literal, like, five-page documents, like, literally watches their entire careers and writes down every single tendency, and they know exactly what they need to work on, so... Both guys are going to be well-prepared. And then on the Cheeto side of things, the criticism was always that the boxing may not be up to par, and especially not when you're fighting a guy like Rob Font, right? But he, you know, so initially he was training at this gym called 50-50 in Ecuador, and he was like the only pro fighter there. It was like him and a bunch of cab drivers, right? So he moves to the United States. He starts training at Team Oyama, uh, and then he decided to take things to another level, and now he's got Jason Perillo as his boxing coach. And you all know Jason Perillo responsible for UFC champions such as Michael Bisbang, responsible for UFC champions, double champions such as BJ Penn, responsible for UFC and Bellator champions such as Chris Cyborg. So if there's a weakness in your boxing game, I couldn't think of a better guy to spend a couple years with than, than Jason Perillo. So you're going to see an improvement there, but still, like, if this fight comes down to, let's see who's got the nicer jab. Let's go jab for jab with Rob Font. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a terrible idea here. What I think is, well, firstly, I'm going to be watching the fight from the jump. But honestly, like as a betting man, as someone who took the plus one thirty on Cheeto here, I can just start this fight at round three, and that's when the fight really starts for me in round three. Just like every Cheeto fight, for the most part, like I said, there's some exceptions here and there. But for the most part, Cheeto fights don't start until round three. Like I like I told you, these these examples that I mentioned already, how world class do you look in round three versus Brad Pickett? And don't don't give me no shit about oh oh Brad Pickett this and that. You know Brad Pickett beat Demetrius Johnson, so I don't want to hear nothing about that. How world class did he look in round three against Song Yadong? How world class did he look in round three against John Lineker in Brazil? So I want to see what he looks like in round three here against uh, Rob Font. 
But it's going to be a tough fight because the thing about Chito that we know is that, I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. The dude eats a lot of shots, but that's the thing that makes him awesome is the kind of chin this guy has, the kind of durability, the kind of willingness he has to to bite down on that mouthpiece and throw himself right into the fire and, and get into things, man. Um, so that's what he's got to do here. Like if he tries to have a pretty fight with Rob Font, he's going to get picked apart and he's going to lose this fight. He needs to make it dirty. He needs to do what Pedro Munoz did. I mean, if you watch that Pedro Munoz fight, I mean, it's pretty fucking evident that Rob Font has cleaner hands than Pedro Munoz. Like, that's not even a question here. But at some point, Pedro got sick of getting tagged over and over, and he said, fuck it. And uh, when it was his turn to land his shots, Rob Font didn't like it. And even going back to that John Lineker fight, John Lineker had Rob Font pulling guard. Now, this was a long time ago. Rob Font, since that point, he's evolved into a top five guy. So you can't take anything away from him. But the foundation kind of remains the same. Whereas, like, Chito, at some point, needs to say, fuck it. And he needs to just go for it. Make it a dirty, ugly fight. If he's still in there, right? Because I I keep saying that it's going to be a sad day when Chito finally gets knocked out. And it's inevitable, right? Because the dude does eat a lot of shots. So at some point, it's going to happen. Is it going to be this Saturday night? Let's We're going to tune in to find out. But if that does not happen, I do see the case for people saying, look, Rob Fonson is going to pick him apart for five rounds. And I see why on paper you'd think that. And I see why that would also be the game plan for Rob Fon. I mean, Cheeto's ultra durable, but he is there to be hit. It's just, you know, this Latino gangster has a way of creating chaos in there. And chaos has been created on rob font before and like i said the pedro munoz fight i think is the blueprint here man you're gonna eat a bunch of shots early but when it's your turn to land your shots you gotta make them count you gotta make rob font feel it you gotta make rob font feel that pressure you gotta make him start to question things start to question why is this guy still here why haven't i gotten him out of there why have i hit him with all my cleanest shots and he's still pressing forward right and from there that's when I want to start to see the kicks from Chito Vera start to come. That's when I want to see him get Rob Font in the clinch, start landing those brutal knees, those My bad, y'all. I accidentally kicked myself out of my own stream. But what I was saying was when Chito finally says, fuck it, that's when I want to see those big knees in the clinch. That's when I want to see those elbows. That's when I want to see that signature trip takedown. That's what I want this fight to be a dirty, ugly, gritty fight because that's that's how Cheeto's going to win. Like I said, if this is a pretty fight about who's got the better jab, who's got the cleaner hands, who's the better boxer here, I mean, give that to Rob Font. But you have to say fuck it at some point, right, which Cheeto is known for doing. And like I said, man, I mean, we've seen him in there with really clean strikers. Song Yidong, he's got some of the best hands in the division too. Cheeto was competing. It's just that in the early going, Cheeto's going to be biting on feints really hard. He's going to be getting clipped with some big shots. That's like the concern here. Like, are those shots going to be so compromising that, you know, that it really affects the, you know, that it kind of like has an impact on the remainder of the fight? What I'm trying to say is like, does he get so hurt that he can't recover? And from there, Rob Font just picks him apart, right? That's the concern. But based on what I've seen, and back to the this dude running 13 miles a day talk, you know, the reason I brought that up is not just to be like, oh, he can run a fucking marathon or whatever. It's more to say that that's why he can recover so well. That's why his conditioning is so good. That's why I've wanted to see this guy in five-round fights for a really long-ass time. So, yeah, I mean, look. It's a dog or pass situation in my eyes. Some people disagree. I understand why. Because in that first round, we know who the cleaner guy is going to be. It's going to be Rob Font. It's just that in 25 minutes, you got this guy who Cheeto, look, he's got these intangibles that you don't really see on tape in the first five to seven minutes. You see it as the fight progresses. And those are the kind of things that uh, I need to see here for him to win this fight. So I took two units on him at plus 130. I'm fully aware of the threat that Rob Font brings to the table. I'm fully aware of how world-class Rob Font is. And I know that certain things need to be executed for us to win this fight. It's not going to just be, uh, you know, it's not going to be some cakewalk like some of these other guys, you know. So let me see what, let me see uh, some of these comments y'all are saying. 
Um, MMA Jedi said, just comparing the performances against Aldo, Cheeto had a much better showing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just a different matchup, man. Um, I mean, you're right because he did get a, you know, he did lose a 29-28, whereas in, on my scorecard, I thought Font lost 50-44. But, you know, ho- they ain't fighting Jose Aldo. But, yeah, uh, man, how good does Jose Aldo look since he dropped to, to 35s, man? It's pretty crazy how, like, this dude was a world champion when I was in high school. And now that I'm like a 32 year old grown man, he's like on the path to getting another title shot in a different weight class. And he's looking fucking great. So it's pretty badass to see. Um, let me see what else y'all are saying. Leave me some comments. Everybody do me a huge favor and smash that like button for me. I truly appreciate it. All right. So we got my boy, Ben Davis in the house. What's up, Ben Davis got USC bro picks. What's up, bro picks got Evan. What up, Evan? Five-round Cheeto. Yeah, that's what I hope happens, man. I, I hope that, you know, like I said, back to the Bilal talk. Um, him and Bilal fight nothing alike, but I want certain guys I want to see in five-round fights. Bilal was one of those guys, and props to him for cashing that plus 160. How are y'all calling him boring, man? Like, when I was growing up, John Fitch was considered boring. Elias Theodoro is considered boring. Like, if you want to see a boring fighter, if you have trouble sleeping, go watch a Ben Askren fight. I'm not talking about his UFC fights because he got his ass kicked, so therefore they were entertaining. But I'm saying watch his Bellator fights if you want to go to sleep. Um, watch John Fitch. Watch his come up if you want to go to sleep. I, I thought that Bilal and Luke fight was like a gritty tactical war, man. So I, I disagree with y'all calling that boring. And yeah, you could say, oh, you had plus 160 on Bilal, so... You know, of course, it wasn't boring for you. It's like, yeah, like I did. However, like I also had money on Woodley when he fought Maya and Wonderboy, and I was falling asleep during those fights. So I can separate the two, right? But back to this. Y'all know what this fight comes down to, man. This fight comes down to, uh, Patty said, you also think Magomed Ankaliev is boring. What, you think he's exciting? <laughs> you think he's fun to watch? Um, I mean... Just wait till he fights Jamal Hill. But, um, and like, people are like, oh, Bilal doesn't finish, therefore he's boring. It's like, you know, some of the best fights of all time went to decision. Shogun versus Dan Henderson went to decision. Wiley versus Joanna went to decision. So, since when does going to decision indicate that you're boring? I think you're looking for a reason to hate. That's my opinion. Like, dude, John Fitch is boring. John Fitch, like, it was pathetic to watch. What I watched in that Bilal and Luke fight was like, the most dangerous guy in the weight class, Luke, and someone with the right game plan just executed. Like, it reminded me of, like, the GSB days, so I liked it. But uh, back to this. We know the deal here, man. Like, Rob Font has got the nasty jab. Rob Font has been putting his game together. He's got that five-round experience. Um, we know what we got to look out for. It's like, as long as Cheeto's not so badly compromised by these first by this early going then I think he I think he's gonna take over at some point. So that's where I'm going on this one. So that's my opinion. If I got anything else to say about that, I'll come back. But now uh, let's go on to this co-main event. So we got Jake Collier taking on Andre Arlovsky. And currently they got it. Andre minus 145. Jake is plus 125. So this is one of those things, man, where it was like two years ago it would have been like a dream to get plus money on on someone against Andre Arlovsky. But, dude, this guy, Andre Arlovsky, has been coming out here. And what's the current streak he's on? Hasn't he won, like... This dude's out here. He's won five of his last six fights with the only loss coming to Aspinall, who I think is pretty damn good. I think Aspinall's got a lot of potential. And shout out to Aspinall for cashing that dog money against uh, Volkov. I've heard rumors about what his next fight is, but I don't know if it's true, so I don't want to say anything. I'm sure you guys saw some tweets. Who knows if there's any truth to that or not, um, but should be good. But, dude, Arlovsky, it's interesting, man, what he's been able to do. He's coming out here. Every single fight is close, but he's able to get these judges' decisions, man. He's got kind of a speed advantage against some of these guys. And I'm curious if he's got that speed advantage here because the thing about Collier is he's, you know, he's originally a middleweight, and you wouldn't be able to tell that by – by his physique in these heavyweight fights, but he was actually a middleweight a few years back. So, yeah, hold on, hold on one second. 
<laughs> Sorry, some some people are talking shit to me online. Um, but basically what I was trying to get at is Arlovsky has a way with his speed in a lot of these fights. Um and that's how he's able to outpoint these guys to a decision. But I'm curious if he still got that advantage here against Collier, who actually is a former middleweight. Like, I want to see if there's still a speed advantage there. It's a heavyweight fight. Either guy could get clipped. We know that much. Um, and Collier's got some interesting techniques, man. I know you all saw some of his spinning back uh, kick knockouts from back in the day. And if you're not quite on his level, he will treat you accordingly. So that's a... That's one thing to note, but at the same time, we have seen him in recent memory go out there and, you know, it's 1-1 going to the third round and he's gassed out in that third round and that's how he loses those split decisions and against Arlovsky, that's what you don't want. These judges have been fucking loving Arlovsky, man. So, I mean, I do kind of lean Arlovsky to get it done. It's just like, am I trying to lay slight chalk on him? No. Uh, I saw someone say, Bet the Arlovsky by decision uh, prop. Um, yeah, I mean, most likely, but who knows, man. They're heavyweights, and even though what I saw from Aspinall, uh, you know, one takedown the fight was over shortly after, and let's not, let's not sugarcoat it either. Aspinall finished him twice in that fight. He TKO'd him standing. I don't know why the ref didn't stop it, and then after that... He uh, took him down and, and choked him out with no uh, no hooks for your naked choke. Now I'm not saying Jay Collier is going to do some shit like that, but what I am saying is uh, I saw I saw a little uh, something on the mat. Uh, Jay Collier's last fight, I saw a little rear naked choke win. So you never know, you never fucking know. Like we expect it to be this just low volume, close split decision type fight, but they might come out here and surprise us, man. They might come out here and it might be a little gritty battle. So. I lean Arlovsky, but I, I don't know. I don't have any kind of confidence. Um, I'm still not. Even though the dude's been proving me wrong time after time after time, I, I, I still don't. I'm still hesitant to lay a price like that on him. So, But I will pick him to win a split decision. I mean, listen, if I'm picking a split decision, then I'm not trying to lay minus 145, right? I guess that would make it a dog or pass situation. It just comes down to if it actually truly plays out that way, right? That's that's the, the big question here. So featured bout in the featherweight division we got andre touchy feely's 21 and 8 taking on joe anderson brito who is 12 and 3 currently they got it andre feely minus 230 the comeback on joe anderson brito's plus 190 so i actually took the odds on brito at plus 250 um earlier in the week i thought those were some good odds um and i mean listen all respect to feely i think he's the more experienced fighter well it doesn't matter what i think he is the more experienced fighter that's a fact not an opinion um he absolutely looked amazing his last fight against Daniel Pineda. And from time to time, Feely's going to go out there and give these guys vet lessons and have competitive fights with some of the toughest guys in the division. So all respect to Feely. Um, I like this guy, Brito. You know, I, I did bet on him in his debut and he lost, but you got to note that that fight he lost, it came down to literally one scramble at the very end. I mean, it was one-to-one -one going to the third round on two judges' scorecards. And the one back take that Algio got in that third round sealed the deal for Joe Anderson Brito. And the reason I bring that up is because that's one of those like things that you can learn from. That's one of those mistakes that you can correct in the gym, come back better from. It wasn't a thing where it was like, you know, dude was out here getting dropped by jabs or like something alarming like that. Or like he's got some serious hole in his game. It was just like a little tactical error at the last minute that cost him the fight. So in my opinion, that's something you can come that that's something you can come back better from. That's something you can learn from. That's something you can address in the gym. So I do expect a better Joe Anderson Brito here. It's just, you know, that being said, Andre Feely has been in there with all the best guys. Literally, I mean, when you pull up Andre Feely's resume, I mean, he's been in there with Bryce Mitchell, Charles Jordan, Sodiq Youssef, fucking Calvin Cater. He was Calvin Cater's debut opponent. Yair Rodriguez. Max Holloway, right? So, I mean, experience goes to Feely. I think the price reflects that, though. And the reason that I took Joe Anderson Brito here is not because I'm ultra confident that he wins this fight, but more so because I think he's got tools to make this a close fight. Uh, I think that he's a very heavy hitter. I think that Feely is there to be hit. I think Feely is also there to be taken down. Um, and I get it. You know, 
we can sit here and say, oh, but that was just Bryce Mitchell that took him down, even though it wasn't just Bryce Mitchell. I've seen other guys take him down. But it's more so about the tools that Joe Anderson brings to the table. Like, I do think he's a solid-ass fighter, and I do think that there's going to be an honest three-round fight, a true battle. So it needs to be an ass-whooping for Andre Feely to cover that price tag. And is there a chance of that? Possibly. But back to Pineda. So that Pineda fight, everyone is saying it's Andre Feely's best career performance, and you won't get a debate out of me. However, we also got to point out, not only was Pineda coming off a brutal knockout loss against Cub Swanson, but Pineda, okay, so y'all might not recall this, but some of you some of you will. He was in PFL, right? And he, he was doing his thing, right? He made it all the way, and he ends up testing positive in PFL. Now, let me just say something right now. If you're testing positive in PFL, that ain't no tainted supplement, my man. <laughs> that don't mean that he uh, had some tomatillo sauce on his on his tacos, man. That means that this dude was out here, you know, Flintstone vitamining it up. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that um, as a result, we've been seeing a fatter version of Pineda. And as a result, you know, I think that guys are out here running through him like Cub Swanson did, like Andre Feely did. And, again, that's not to discredit Feely's performance. Absolutely not. It's just more so to say that it was circumstantial based on the opponent. I don't think he runs through Joe Anderson. Now, I could be wrong. I've been wrong many times, and I'll be wrong many times again. But I see this being an honest three-round fight, 1-1 going into the third round. And let's see if Joe Anderson's made those adjustments. At plus 250, on one one going to the third round which is how i see the fight going doesn't mean it's going to play out that way at all it might not play out that way it might be a domination on either side it might be an early finish but i do see this being a war so give me those plus 250 odds on joe anderson hopefully we can uh, eke out a split decision hey, if we get a finish along the way i'll take that too but i'm thinking it's gonna come down to the wire and it's gonna be a close judge's decision so if that is truly the case and if i'm right about that then there is value on him um, at the odds I got, at least. So let's see what happens. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Jared Gordon. He's 18-4, taking on Grant Dawson, who is 17-1-1. Currently, they got at Grant Dawson, minus 185. The comeback on Jared Gordon is plus 160. Kind of curious where this fight opened. And real quick, how's my mic sounding today? Because, like, uh, you guys remember how I was, like, skipping and shit last time? I mean, I literally unplugged every fucking thing in my studio and just, like, started from scratch. So I'll be really pissed off if it's uh, cutting in and out again, right? Um, but ha there hasn't been any complaints now. So um, let me see. True Shot said, would Brito beat any of the last guy, six guys Feely fought? Um, I don't know. Let me pull up the last six guys Feely fought. I mean, he's not fighting any of the last six guys Feely's fought. He's fighting Feely. But uh, Daniel Pineda, yeah, I, I definitely got him over Daniel Pineda in this version. Look, Daniel Pineda, I'm not trying to disrespect him. He's a guy I've been watching for 10-plus years, and and he's a guy that, like, has put on a lot of entertaining fights. It's just that you got to understand. Um, so certain USADA violations, well, this wasn't USADA because it was PFL, but certain steroid busts, you know, might be a tainted supplement. This was not a tainted supplement. This was my dude is not going to come back the same, you know? So, yeah, I definitely got Joe Anderson over Daniel Pineda. Um, look, yeah, I got Bryce Mitchell and Sodiq Yusuf over him. Um, but what about Shaman Rice and Miles Jury? I got Joe Anderson in those fights. Michael Johnson, you know Michael Johnson will find a way to fuck that one up. So, yeah, dude, I think I think he can put up honest fights with all those with most of those guys. Yeah, Sodiq and Bryce, okay. I clearly got those guys. But the rest, may, maybe not Jordan, but besides Jordan, I mean, come on, Miles Jury? Daniel Pineda, you're telling me Joe Anderson can't go out there and beat those guys? I disagree, bro. But uh, back to this lightweight matchup between Jared Gordon and Grant Dawson. It's interesting because, hey, real quick, shout out to my boy Boom saying like and subscribe. I echo these sentiments, and I truly appreciate it if you all will do that for me. Well, there's no, there's no mic comment, so it sounds like everything's good. So I'm glad to hear that. So Jared Gordon versus Grant Dawson. So I guess a big talking point, a big narrative of this fight was that Grant Dawson did this camp at ATT. So people are saying, oh, he has one result that doesn't go his way and he leaves the people that brought him up. 
I don't really buy into that, man, because who knows? Like, what if him and James Krause went to, like, lunch one day and Krause was like, hey, man, like, maybe you should get out of your comfort zone and go to ATT. Maybe it was an agreement between the two of them. So I don't think that they're beefing at all. Like, and I I would not be surprised if Krause was still in his corner for this fight. So I don't think it's a situation where they were beefing or, you know, he had one result that didn't go his way and now he's changing everything. I don't think it's like that at all. I think he probably had to get out of his comfort zone. and. That's a good thing because that last fight was very alarming, man. I mean, like, comes out there super dominant those first two rounds. All you had to do was get one takedown in the third round, lay on top of uh, Ricky Glenn, who's a very tough guy, and and the fight's ears. But <laughs> Grant Dawson pulls guard, and he literally blew it, man. He, he fucking blew it, man. I mean, he lost that, that last round 10-8, and as a result, it was a draw, you know, and it should have been a clear 29-28 at least win but like man he was getting uh rick glenn put it on him in that third and final round and the reason i bring that up is because one thing about jared gordon he's one of these guys where it's like look it doesn't look the prettiest at all and you watch tape on jared gordon you're like man like there's so many openings and so many guys are going to capitalize and so many guys have capitalized but it's also like jared gordon is one of these guys where he can you know, he's got those intangibles, man. Like, he's got a way of breaking guys. He's got a way of taking fights to deep water. And when it's 1-1, one, 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 oh, excuse me, when it's 1-1 one, one going to that third round, not always, because I did cash on Neto BJJ uh, when he won in that third round. But I'm just saying, from time to time, like, uh, when it's 1-1 one, one going to that third round, Jared Gordon, I hear this dude, like, when he takes people down, I hear that he is heavy as fuck on top. I heard that. I'm not going to say who they compared him to because people will be like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, okay, fuck it. I will say it. I heard some people that have trained with him say that he's got top game com- comparable to Habib. Those are not my words, guys. Those are words from people that have trained with him. But w- basically my point is that he's deceptive with his strength. He's deceptive with uh, his durability and the fact that he's able to go out there and kind of drown guys. And if if – grant dawson hasn't addressed what happened this last fight that could happen here now i think he has addressed it obviously you know switching things up getting out of his comfort zone so that's good and now it's about like is grant dawson really this prodigy uh everybody says he is is he really that top prospect or has he had some favorable matchups you know was he in there with julian arosa mike trezano Derek minner nad naramani a 40 something year old version of leonardo santos and then Ricky Glenn, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was like a minus 525 favorite in that Ricky Glenn fight. So this is a tough one, man. This is a tough one because it's like I see why why Grant Dawson's favored, and you watch the tape on Gordon, and it does not look pretty at all, <laughs> at all. But, again, he's got a way of making these fights close. He's got a way of imposing his will. He's got a way of going out there and breaking these guys. So... I'm not sure, man. Um, the Burns commented. He said Dawson 29-28. So I assume by that you mean that Dawson wins the first two rounds and uh, Jared goes out there and wins that third round. That's definitely a possibility. But what about the possibility of Dawson winning the first round and Jared winning the next two rounds? Maybe the second round, only two judges see it his way. One judge sees it Dawson's way. And then all three judges see the third round his way. And then it's like a split decision, right? So it's just about what kind of dominance are we expecting from Dawson here? Like, are, are we expecting him to come out here and run through a guy like Jared Gordon, who has been ran through before? Let's not, let's not sugarcoat it. But has also made a lot of improvements, has also got a ton of octagon experience, has also learned from his mistakes, He's also got the momentum and the confidence of coming off a, a three-fight win streak. So, I don't know, man. This one, Flip a fucking coin, man. So, we're going to go with uh, Grant Dawson via close, close, close decision. But it would not surprise me. You know, I'm not trying to be flaky with this pick and this and that and be like, oh, I think this guy wins, but this guy, blah, blah. I mean, but this is really one of those fights where it's like, I think Dawson wins, but it's like, again, you can watch all the tape you want on Jared Gordon, and it's not going to look the prettiest. 
kind of like this guy coming up, Darren Elkins. <laughs> like it just doesn't it doesn't look good, but like he's got a way of imposing his will. He's got a way of breaking guys, and you have to respect that quality in a fighter. So I don't know. Maybe maybe look to the live betting window on this one. I'm 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 just curious if Grant Dawson covers this price tag. Like, should he really be minus one eighty five? Possibly. I mean, there is there is that chance. Like, you can't. The the guy is seventeen and one. That's uh, you know, one doesn't simply put up a seventeen and one record in MMA. I'll tell you that much. So, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to tune in, man. I have no fucking idea. But we'll go with Dawson via very close, 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 close decision. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got another one that's kind of tricky. We got Darren Elkins, who's twenty six and ten, taking on Tristan Connolly, who's fourteen and seven. And currently, they got it. And Darren Elkins. Similar to Grant Dawson, uh, minus 175, the comeback on Tristan is plus 155. This is an interesting one because it's like, so you look back at that fight between Tristan Connolly and Michelle Pereira, and again, not to discredit Tristan because he, he did win that fight fair and square, but that fight was more about what Michelle did wrong than, than about what Tristan did right. I mean, Michelle, like if you all saw Michelle Pereira's debut, against danny roberts like when you look like a fucking action figure superhero like when you got like remember when johnny walker uh first came into the ufc he was getting all those flashy finishes like when you come in there and you do some shit like that in your debut man like you just can't help but come in there with that aura of invincibility and underestimate your next opponent and think that no one can touch you and that's kind of what we saw from Michelle Pereira in that fight. I mean, during the walkout, this dude was doing like 10 backflips. And, you know, I think he just got a little bit ahead of himself. I think he didn't take Tristan Connolly seriously whatsoever, which I understand why. If you, like, look at a picture of the two of them, if you watch their fights, like, if they ever ran it back, I got Michelle Pereira again. It's just that Michelle Pereira fucked up that night, you know, and Tristan Connolly won quality that he's got is he's tough as fuck man he's a very tough guy i kind of consider him just like a tough solid journeyman fighter you know i just do kind of question if he's at the ufc level and again that might sound kind of contradictory or hypocritical because i mean he beat michelle Pereira. if you can beat michelle Pereira, you belong in the ufc but it's like i think michelle Pereira beat himself man like straight up like i think if they ever ran it back they ran it back nine more times. I got Michelle Pereira all nine times. So how much stock do you put into that? And then on the other side of things, dude, what's Darren Elkins' nickname? The damage? I mean, how much fucking damage can this guy keep taking, man? And, like, you hear his interviews. And look, not to put too much stock into interviews and stuff. And we're going to talk about interviews when we talk about the Gabe Green fight because I got something to say about that. But, uh, I mean, you hear this guy's interviews, you can barely fucking form a sentence together. <laughs> um, and I, I shouldn't be laughing. That's not funny. But it's like, how much damage can he take? But at the same time, with that being said, how much damage can uh, Tristan Connolly dish out? I'm not sure. I mean, look, Darren Elkins should win this fight. Darren Elkins should come out here and grind this guy out. It's just at some point, the wheels are going to fall off. And at some point someone who is not on his level is going to come out there and beat him. I mean, not to compare Darren Elkins to the great BJ Penn, but they do have one similarity, right? I mean, obviously Darren Elkins wasn't a former lightweight and welterweight champion. He's not a Hall of Famer. I don't know. He's del I don't know. BJ Penn is like a fucking icon, man. But at the end of BJ Penn's career, I mean, the dude took so much damage that he started losing to guys that he would have he would have absolutely mopped the floor with in his prime. Like, are, you mean to tell me that BJ Penn wouldn't have absolutely handled guys like Dennis Seaver and Clay Guida and Ryan Hall in his prime? Because he absolutely would have. He would have ran through those guys. And the reason I'm bringing that example up is because I think in Darren Elkins' prime, he easily grinds this guy out. I mean, he you saw in uh, Tristan's last fight how easily he got grinded out, but that was against a younger, fresher guy. That was against a guy who was on the come-up. That was against a hungry, just fresh grinder and if and elkins kind of used to be that guy back in the day can elkins still muster up one last you know one, one of those performances one last time that's the big question here uh so i don't know 
I don't I don't know. I, I just personally don't feel comfortable laying minus one seventy five on Darren Elkins with his current state. I just don't. Period. I guess I'll pick him because I have had questions about does does Tristan Connolly belong at this level? And again, one second. And again, it's not to be disrespectful to Tristan because you beat a guy like Michelle Pereira, hey, and you beat him fair and square too. There wasn't controversy there, you know. So it might sound disrespectful for me to question if he belongs at the UFC level, right? But again, I truly believe that that – I don't know if I want to call it a fluke, but I just think that Michelle beat himself. So I, I don't know if uh, if Connolly belongs at this at this level, but how much left does Darren Elkins have? I don't fucking know, man. And like I said, back to the BJ Penn example, these guys eventually, you know, these guys that take so much damage, these guys that take so much damage, they eventually start losing to people that that they would have easily beat in their primes. So is that going to be the case here? I don't know. I'll go with Elkins just because if you give me the best version of both guys, I do think Elkins grinds that out. But it's tough because I know we're not getting the best version of Elkins. I know we're not. And to take it a step further, at least Tristan now finally has the experience of making the cut to featherweight because you gotta you gotta take into consideration that the Michelle fight was at one seventy, right? The Sabatini fight was at forty fives. This one's back at forty fives. Like going from seventy to forty fives. Like even if you got the right people, like actual fight night, like how are you gonna feel after making that cut, right? It's not just about making the weight; it's about performing the next day. Well, now he's got that experience under his belt. Does that aid him to victory here? I don't know. Are any of y'all taking the shot on Tristan here? I, I just I just need to sit this one out, man. I just don't have conviction on either side. But give me the best version of both guys, and I think Elkins wins. It's just I know. I know we're not getting the best version of Elkins here. So tough one. Now, next up in the middleweight division, I'm excited about this. We got a matchup between Gerald, GM3, Mearshart. He's 34 and 14, taking on Chris Jocko. Christoph Jocko, who's 23 and 5. Remember when Christoph Jocko knocked out Tamden McCrory and they were trying to market him and they called him Chris Jocko to, to make it a little easier because, you know, you know none of us can fucking spell Christoph, right? Can any of y'all spell Joanna's last name? I can't. And currently they got it. Christoph Jocko minus 170. The comeback on Gerald Mearshart's plus 150. Another interesting fight. Because, firstly, with Gerald Mearshart, you're dealing, you're dealing with the guy with the most submission wins in UFC middleweight history. I'm talking about more submission wins than hoist more submission wins than maya now before someone corrects me i didn't say more submission wins than maya um just career-wise i said just at middleweight because maya had a long career at middleweight and welterweight so combined maya's got more subs but at, at middleweight uh where you know maya did make his, his original title run i mean you guys remember when he fought anderson silva Gerald's got more subs than him. Pretty crazy. And more subs than Anderson, too. So, yeah, uh, props to Gerald, man. What he's been able to do. And y'all should check out my interview with him. I think we talked for like an hour. Um, it's on this channel. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the like button. Cool-ass dude, man. Just really, like, in tune with who he is, right? He's not out here trying to pretend that he's some... Um... Now, let me just clarify what I'm about to say. Compared to guys like us, just, you know, regular dudes, he's a fucking elite athlete. But if you put him next to, like, the top guys in his division, like, if you put him next to, like, Israel Adesanya or Rob Whitaker, like, I guarantee you both those guys have a higher vertical jump than Gerald Mearshar. I guarantee you both those guys have faster, what, 40-meter dash? <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? Those guys are better athletes. But Gerald makes his his attributes and his qualities work in MMA. He's got a very opportunistic submission game, hence him having the most subs in UFC middleweight history. He's got a nasty body kick, and you start to think he's a little slow and hittable on the feet, and then that straight left comes down the pipe, and you're like, oh, shit, this guy's tagging me too. So Gerald's very deceptive, kind of like some of these other guys we've been talking about on this card, man. We were talking about how Jared Gordon can be deceptive at times. We were talking about how Marlon Chito Vera can be deceptive at times, like you might watch tape and you might see certain things that don't look the prettiest, but it's different when you're in there with those guys. And I think that Gerald is one of those guys as well. And with Kristoff, I mean, I think the best way to describe him is a European point fighter. I think he knows exactly where his strengths lie. He's not going to come out here, take any unnecessary risks. He's going to dance around you. He's going to try to point you up. 
and he knows when to shoot for that last-minute takedown to seal the deal on the round. And from time to time, he will slug it out, too. I mean, you guys saw the Uriah Hall fight. He hurt Uriah Hall badly in that fight. He just got carried away. And actually, let me take back something I said because I was talking about how he doesn't fight uncharacteristic for the most part. I mean, when you got the kind of sample size that uh, that Chris Jocko has from time to time, you're going to fuck up, right? And he fucked up in that Uriah Hall fight. But um, I think he's learned since I think he's learned his, you know, his lesson since then. And I think that he's coming out here and um, he knows how to edge out these decisions. Um, let's see. Daniel Edwards says, people default Mearshart as the dog because of his losses, but maybe he's put his game together enough to beat Jocko. Yeah, maybe. Um, it's tough. It just depends. Does he get that opportunity to finish the fight? If he does, then I think that, I mean, if he gets the opportunity, he's going to take it. You know, this is a guy that he gets your neck, he's not going to fuck up. He gets a limb, he, he's not going to lose it, man. He's going to take it home. So it's just about does Chris Jocko give him that opportunity to, to finish him. Now, we can bring up the Misha Sarkunov fight, but I heard that word on the street was that Kristoff was really injured for that fight, and he kind of like, he knew he could beat Sarkunov anyways, so he just took that fight regardless, even though... He wasn't his best, and I, I guess the performance reflected that. But apparently here, he, he's back at 100%. So take it for what it's worth. I'm a lean GM3. Maybe I'm a little biased. But, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've cashed some tickets on, on Chris before. I mean, remember that plus 200 against Tamden McCrory back in the day? Like, his only knockout, you know? So tough one, man. But it's just about, like, can Gerald come out here and create that chaos? Back to what we were talking about with a guy like Chito Vera. Like, yes, Rob Font is the cleaner guy. Christoph Jocko is the cleaner guy. Yes, Grant Dawson is the cleaner guy. But can Jared Gordon create that chaos? Can can Marlon Vera create that chaos? Can Gerald Mearshart create that, that chaos? Abu Dhabi. What's up, Abu Dhabi? He said Jocko went three hard with Strickland. He did go three hard with Strickland. Um, but, you know, Strickland... He's another guy that he's content to outpoint you, man. He's content to go to decision, and I don't find him boring either, man. I think, dude, if you can win a UFC main event just off a jab, like that's pretty fucking impressive. But we don't need to, we don't need to debate that shit right now. But yeah, there's another one I could see going either way. So for that reason, I'll, I'll side with the dog. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, I'm just gonna keep it short and sweet. Romanov or Sherman. Romanov's minus 2,000. Sherman plus 1,250. Is the line justified? I mean, I think so. I think it's one takedown and the fight's over shortly after. If not, two takedowns and the fight's over shortly after. I mean, people asking me, like, should I take a shot on uh, on Sherman? Um, No. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. I mean, watch, watch Romanov not shoot a single takedown now. Stand and bang with Sherman. I mean, even if he stands and bangs with Sherman, Sherman's so fucking hittable. Sherman's best quality is his leg kicks. Very hard leg kicker, but his head's right there on the center line, doesn't move it at all. He's there to be hit, and then on the ground, Jay Collier just submitted him in the first round. Um, I think that Romanov can come out here and have some... I think Romanov's going to dominate him and destroy him. So, yeah, I get people are taken aback. I don't think you're taken aback by the odds. I think you're more disappointed that, that it's un, unplayable. So whatever, it's unplayable. So sit back. Yeah, no one's forcing you to play anything. Like the odds suck. So just sit back. But yeah, I got Romanov here. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a match between Daniel Da Silva Lacerda. He's eleven and two, taking on Francisco Figueroa, who's twelve and four. Currently, they got it. Daniel Lacerda minus one thirty. The comeback on Francisco is plus one ten. Just out of curiosity, where did this fight open? want to see who Vegas favored. Okay, so they favored Figueredo. I get uh, people are down on Figueredo because, I mean, he fucking went out there and lost to Malcolm Gordon, which is a, a big red flag. But, again, similar to when I was talking about that Joe Anderson-Brito fight against Algio, it was kind of a situation you can learn from. I mean, 
Look, did he do some dumbass shit like have a full mount on Malcolm Gordon and then give up the round by dropping back for a leg lock? Yes, he did. However, that's something you can learn from. That's something you can go back, watch the tape, and be like, man, don't ever fucking do that again, right? Like, again, it's not like Francisco was out here getting dropped by jabs or fucking, you know, um, shooting takedowns from a mile across the cage, like... You just made a couple stupid mistakes that can be corrected, and hopefully they will be. We don't know if they will or won't be. But, again, you know, dropping back for leg locks when you have a full mat on a guy, really bad IQ. However, you go back and you learn from your mistakes. We've had plenty of time since that fight. Hopefully he's learned from those mistakes. And then on the other side with Lacerda, he's another one of these guys like, uh, you know, Daniel uh, Willie Catchy or – you know, those guys from uh, Shoot the Bucks, uh, Tomas Almeida, Felipe Aranches. He's another one of those guys, man. I mean, he's going to come out there. He's going to come to bang. He's going to put on a very exciting fight. Um, I thought that Jeff Molina handled that fight accordingly, man. He let Daniel Lacerda just use up all his energy. And then when it was Jeff Molina's time to respond, boy, did he respond, right? Like, we know Lacerda can give it, but can he take it too? And one thing about Figueredo, you know, we, we, we don't need to even bring up his brother. Like, his brother, is a, when I, his brother is irrelevant to this fight because you don't have to be a championship-level guy to beat Daniel Lacerda. You also didn't need to be a championship-level guy to beat Malcolm Gordon, but <laughs> that's besides the point because hopefully, hopefully he's learned from that experience. We don't know if he has or hasn't. So this is another one tough, this is a tough fucking fight to call because it's like, we know Lacerda is hell on wheels those first couple minutes. We know Francisco has a bit of a gas tank uh, issue. We know Francisco's volume ain't the best. But I've also seen Francisco go out there, some nice body lock takedowns, get on top of these guys, get the full mount on some black belts. It's just when you do get to those positions, like I don't, I don't want to see you dropping back for leg locks. I don't want to see you give up position. Like I want to see you maintain that position. And if he does that, I think he can win this fight as an underdog. So another tough one. I'll, I'll, I'll slightly lean with Francisco, but this is a different scenario than the last fight. He was like minus three-something last fight, and yeah, my dumb ass played him there because <laughs> I thought literally anybody could beat Malcolm Gordon. Apparently that wasn't the case. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm willing to learn from my mistakes. But, uh, yeah, here he's a dog. It's, it's a different situation altogether. So I'm going to take him here. We don't really know what Lacerda looks like, you know, do I want to say with a full camp? I don't know if the Molina fight was with a full camp or if he was like a short notice fill-in. So if someone knows, let me know. I just know Lacerda comes to bang. It's just how long can he sustain that? But that being said, how long can Francisco sustain his style? So it's a 50-50 fight. Give me the dog. Now, this one I'm very excited about. Next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Johan Lanais. He's 8-0, representing Canada, taking on Gabe Green, who was 10-3. And, and currently they got it, Gabe Green, minus 135. The comeback on Johan Lanais is plus 115. Gabe Green's a dog, man. Not an underdog in this fight, but just a dog in general, man. He's one of those just tough, rugged dudes. Um probably has some mexican in him because you see the kind of shots he takes like god damn like just keeps walking forward and that calf kick game he had on phil Rowe, beautiful stuff his grappling isn't half bad some of the shots he was eating against uh d-rod like damn dude like i've seen other dudes go to sleep with less so props to him this johan lanace is interesting because it's like he's probably canada's top hope for a welterweight prospect. Um, actually, that's not true because that Mike Malat kid is also Canadian. So okay, he's right up there with Mike Malat or Mallet, excuse me. First or second best Canadian welterweight prospect currently in the UFC, and Johan's a one hitter quitter type guy. Man, I mean he's a look. Doesn't look like he sets up his shots the best, but he's got that intangible of just uh, like I've seen him like make multiple dudes snore like straight up uh at all kinds of different points in the fights and i have heard people talking about how johan gasses as fights progress and 
If you're going to gas here, that's not good. <laughs> if you're going to gas here, that is not good. You do not want to gas against Gabe Green. It's just how many more shots can Gabe Green keep eating? And also, with the power that Johan brings, even if Gabe is getting the better of the volume, can Johan sway the judges with those big moments, right? Like That's, that's a big question I have in this fight. Um, I see it being a really close fight. I, I, while it lasts, right? Because someone could get knocked out here and then it's not going to look close. But I'm saying up until the knockout happens on either side, I see it being a very close fight. If it goes to decision, I see Johan winning the first. I see Gabe Green winning the third. Who's going to win the second? I don't know. Um, But let me just say this as far as the Johan gassing talk is concerned. Have I seen him breathe he- uh, breathe heavy past the first round? Yes. But did I see him lose his composure past the first round? No. He handled himself well. He knows how to fight fatigued, which on one hand you can say, well, that was, you know, in a regional show. What's going to happen here at the UFC level? And that's a very fair point. And we know the cardio Gabe Green brings to the table, so that's another fair point. But I just have an issue with how much Gabe Green gets hit. And Johan's one of those guys you don't want to get hit against. So, listen, I think that if you get dog money on either side, that's the way to go. Like, if you were one of those people that took Gabe Green at the dog odds, good job. You did your job. You beat the line. But since the line has flipped, I'm going to go on the opposite side. I'm going to take Johan to potentially catch him with something big in the early going or to get two rounds and survive that third and get a decision. Um but I see it being a war until either someone goes to sleep or until this fight hits the judges' scorecards. But I'll go with Johan uh, for the upset. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Mike Breed and he's ten and four, taking on Natan Levy, who is six and one. And currently, they got it: Natan Levy minus one eighty-five. The comeback on Mike Breed is plus one sixty. Y'all really think I'm gonna pick against my boy, my boy Levy here? Even we spell our names different, by the way. My boy Blood Money said, what's up, Dan? Great show, brother. I always enjoy your content. Thank you so much, Blood Money. I appreciate that, man. And if the rest of y'all feel the same way, smash that like button and hit that subscribe button for me. I truly appreciate it. Thank you very much. So, Natan Levy, the, the debut fight didn't go his way, but he was in there with a much more experienced guy, and I thought he held his own, and I thought he, it was like a performance you can build from. You know, first round started off strong, but, you know, 1-1 going to the third, and the more experienced guy was able to capitalize, but I like what Levy brings to the table, man. I think that he's known for his karate style. He's known for his kicking game, but don't sleep on his grappling either. And also, he's a guy who is outside his comfort zones, living in Vegas, like doing the right things. And with Breeden, he also trains with some really good people. You know, he, tra- he trains with David Onama, with Tim Elliott, um, you know, under James Krause. So maybe Breeden's got more to show this time, but Breeden seems to me like a killer be killed banger which as a fan you got to love that style but i'm just not sure how that translates at the ufc level now he's beat some guys that are in the ufc right now like brandon jenkins he flying knee ko'd brandon jenkins and you know he had that good fight with uh anthony romero on contender series and then also he beat ken beverly who you know, as a guy I know from the regional scene who's fought a couple times in the NFC. So and he finished a very tough guy in Ken Beverly. So props to Breeden on that. I, I see Natan Levy getting back on track. I'm just not crazy about the minus 185 price tag, right? Um, I think it's probably about accurate, so I don't really see too much value. If you want to take the dog shot to fade a 6-1 and one fighter, I hear, I hear you. It's just the dog you're actually betting on, I'm not sure if he's got the goods at this level. Maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong many times, and I will be wrong many more times. I'm just not sold on Breeden being a UFC caliber guy. So I see the talent and the potential of Levy, and let me take him here. I just don't really see too much value in that in that price, so pass. And next up in the flyweight division, we've got a matchup between Gina Mazzani. She's 7-5, and five, taking on Shayna Young, who is 7-4. Shayna or Shanna? Someone let me know. Currently, they got at Gina Mazzani, minus 180. The comeback on Shanna is plus 155. I mean, dude, like, yeah, Gina should win this fight. Gina should also won the fucking um, Priscilla fight, too. It's just Gina, 
She's got some good front running. I mean, the wrestling's on point, and like, if you're not quite UFC caliber, which I don't think Shayna Young is, Gina can capitalize. It's just when you're laying a price like minus one eighty on Gina Mazzani, and shit's going your way for the first seven minutes, and one bad thing, she eats one knee or one takedown gets stuffed, and she starts to mentally check out. Don't blame anybody but yourself for laying a price like that on Gina Mazzani. Is all I gotta say. So yeah, Gina's the pick. At least she's won some UFC fights, right? But you ain't getting me to lay close to fucking minus 200 on Gina Mazzani in any fight, dude. Any. Ever. So uh, do I want to say it's dog or pass? I don't know because it's like Shanna's been so unimpressive. But, look, she does have something to prove. Um, It's just like... When you're getting finished by fighters like Sarah Alpar, no disrespect, but when you're getting, you know, it's just, I I just got questions about if she belongs. But then I say that, and it's like I've seen Gina get ran through multiple times in under a minute multiple times. Watch the fucking, who are the two girls that finished her in under a minute? Macy Chauzon and Sarah McMahon, right? Oh, and Julia Avila, right? And, like, uh, Macy Chazon was a minute 49, excuse me. And Sarah McMahon was a minute 14. So, actually, I'm wrong on both those. But they still ran through her, which is the point I was trying to make. And then the Priscilla Cachoeira fight was just straight up breaking. Can Shanna Young break her? I don't know. Possibly. Um, Gina Mazzani ain't getting my money at minus 180. I'll tell you that much. So, pass. Now, this first fight, this, this one's going to be good. So, Hold on one second. Let me address this comment. So, Mr. Nugly Driscoll said, I got Shanna. He said, trust me. He said, you guys are going to regret not listening to me. Well, I'll tell you this much. I ain't betting Gina Mazzani. <laughs> so, um, but I hope you cash, man. I, I hope you cash because it's like when you're laying minus 180 on Gina Mazzani, you're, you're asking for trouble. You you're, you make that minus 180 bet on Gina Mazzani 10 times, you're not coming out on the right side of the coin. I know that much. It's just what's going to happen this Saturday night. I don't fucking know, man. But um, I, ho- I hope you cash this bet, dude. But anyways, kicking off the card in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Tatsuro Teira. He's 10-0 from Japan, taking on Carlos Candelario, who is 8-1 from the U.S., Currently, they got it. Tatsura Terra, minus 230. The comeback on Carlos Candelario, depending where you look, plus 190 to plus 200. Um, so this was funny because I, I never heard of Tyra until, you know, this card rolled around. I was like, I was like, who the fuck is this guy, like, you know, being minus 250, minus 300 or whatever, like, in his debut? And then I looked him up, and I got to say, uh, he's going to be a pretty physical dude in this weight class. Um, you know, one thing about him. He's pretty tall for flyweight. You know, he's five foot seven, which for flyweight, that's pretty fucking tall. He's a strong, strong kid, man. He's got a decent grappling game, good at taking the back. I've also seen him finish off his back, so he can finish either way on the mat. Some hard kicks, maybe not the best volume, but when he decides to let it go, he lets it go. So I like that about him. Um,. And then Carlos Candelario, y'all let me know what kind of Latino heritage he has. Is it Mexican? Because I can definitely tell by the way he fights. Like, dude goes out there and scraps, man. He's a very scrappy kid, man. And I like that contender series performance a lot. You know, live, I kind of thought that was like a big robbery. But when I rewatched it, I do kind of understand, you know, why he why he lost that fight. Um, it seemed like... Victor Altamirano kind of started taking over towards the latter part of the second round, and I guess that kind of edged him the decision. Um, like, at the time, it seemed atrocious, but when I rewatched, like, I've seen a lot worse decisions than that. Let's just put it that way. But what I like about Candelario is, firstly, he's got he's got a lot of experience at the Apex. He's already fought twice on Contender Series. And scrappy ass dude, 
But the thing I really want to talk about is Tatsura Tyra making that flight over from Japan. Like, does anybody have any insight on how long he's been in the States? Because one of the things that plagues the Asian fighters is that flight, man. Because if you hear my interview with Daun Jung, he's, he's from Korea. I asked him, like, hey, man, like, how long do you need to get acclimated, you know, with the jet lag? He told me a month, right? He said, we get flown out 10 days out, but I actually need a month to acclimate. So apparently we haven't even been seeing Daun Jung fight at 100%. And I'm just curious, like, with Tatsura Tyra, look, I think Tatsura Tyra projects to go further than Candelario. No disrespect. I like Candelario a lot. He's very exciting, very scrappy, fun dude to watch. I think Tyra is the more talented guy here. It's just that sometimes these debuts don't go according to plan, especially when it's your first time making the flight. Let me just double check that it's his first time because, let's see, where was this, uh, his last fight at? Yeah, I mean, Tokyo, Japan. Japan, Japan, Japan. Okay, yeah. I mean, this is... this. What's up, Leo? This is uh, this dude's first time coming over to the States. Um, and that's tough, man. That is really tough because that flight, you've never made that flight before. Uh, I've heard from other Asian fighters that you need to take at least a month to really acclimate. You probably got 10 days like are you even going to be your optimal self because if he's not his optimal self then carlos candelario is a live dog here because one thing about candelario even though he slowed down in that contender series fight can't deny that definitely happened um he's gonna come to fight he's not you know this ain't gina mazani where one thing goes wrong and the fight's over is, is gonna have a mental checkout that's not carlos candelario is gonna fight to the bitter end whether he's tired or not and that's a quality I respect. And I like the volume on the feet. I like the fact that he can mix in takedowns. Uh, uh, takedown after takedown after takedown. He's relentless. Great scrambling ability. So I like Candelario. It's just, what am I getting from Tyra here? Am I getting the Tyra I saw on tape? Or am I getting a guy who's jet-lagged, making his UFC debut, who fights nowhere near his potential? Like, like, like what am I getting here? So I don't know. So for that alone, I think it's a dogger pass situation. Just because, again, UFC debuts don't always go according to plan, let alone a dude making a fucking... Hold on a second. Let me look up what the flight is. Um, flight length, Japan to Vegas. <laughs> well, it just depends where. Okay, if you're making the flight from Tokyo to Vegas, it's, tw it's 13 hours. If you're making the flight, but but with one stop, along the way if you're making the flight from osaka it's fucking almost 17 hours and if you're making the flight from nagoya it's almost 19 hours like dude that's just like too much right um my boy moy's audio said 12 weeks you mean to tell me he's been in the states 12 weeks oh okay so where's he been training then uh moy's like has he been training at syndicate has he been training at extreme couture because if he's been here for 12 weeks then i don't have to worry about you know the flight the flights are relevant if that's the case can you can you please uh tell me where he's been training but that's good because that tells me if this if that if what he if what moy's audio is telling me is true that this dude's been here for 12 weeks well then we're not going to deal with a jet lagged fighter here and that's my big concern with any asian fighter making that flight to the united states for the first time so he says he's been training at both extreme couture and syndicate okay good the two best gyms in vegas that's a good sign. Yeah, so that actually makes me think that we might possibly see the guy we saw on tape. And if that's the case, I think he wins the fight. I still do have questions about, you know, this being your first time under those bright lights. Candelario's been there twice before. Look, my pick is Tyra. It's just when we're talking about a price like this, I need all my bases covered. I, I need to know that we're getting the dude I saw on tape to come out here and perform at his best. He does that, I think he wins. It's just, are we going to get that, right? If we don't, Candelario's a very live dog. And I think even if Candelario loses, he's a live dog because he's going to put up a fight. So, But give me Tyra to win, and I like the fact. Thank you, Moyes, for uh, bringing up that he's been in the States for 12 weeks. That's that's huge, man. That's huge because I was thinking 10 days. <laughs> so give me Tyra, but 
I'll, I'll sit back on this one. I'm not trying to lay that price until I see how he performs against this level of competition. Because those those dudes he was fighting overseas, um, no comment. That's all I gotta say. Uh, but uh, and Candelario's a scrapper. Candelario's by far the best guy he's ever fought. Candelario's got a chip on his shoulder. Candelario fu- uh, feels like he was robbed on Contender Series. It's gonna be a hell of a way to open up the card. But uh, give me Tyra. But <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. Candelario is going to make it a scrap, so I look forward to it. All right, so let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. Real quick, y'all, I haven't gotten any mic comments, but if, like, this fucking thing right here been working okay, because you don't know how fucking pissed off I was when I heard that it was, like, skipping last time, but it sounds like it's good, so just confirm that for me in the comments, please. Because I was about to buy a whole new rig, and... That would have been so stupid because <laughs> I don't think the rig was the issue. I think certain things were. I just had a, I just had a you know re plug everything and just talk to my tech guys, bro. It's, it ain't just about getting on the fucking mic and talking like this technology shit is something else, man. Like so, props to like all the podcasters that like have that side of things down, man. Um, I still got a long way to go, but you know I'm grateful that you guys are here with me. So thank you very much. Um. Anyways, fight to watch and fighter to watch. I mean, besides the main event, I think the fight to watch is Andre Fury versus Joe Anderson Brito. I mean, how can this fight not be exciting? Joe Anderson Brito, the Brazilian wrecking ball, goes out there, powerful, strong dude. Andre Fury, as experienced as they get, been in there with everybody, coming off a career best performance. I just want to see what happens here. I think it's going to be a, a war while it lasts. So that's my fight to watch and my fighter to watch. <sighs> I mean, I do kind of want to see how this Johan Linnaeus guy performs, but, I mean, listen, we got to go Marlon Chito Vera. You know how long I've been waiting for this guy to be in a five-round fight? Long-ass time. And he ain't fighting some walkover either. Rob Font is as legit as they get. Top five guy on planet Earth. And if Chito Vera's got title aspirations, if Chito Vera's the guy that he says he is, then he's got to come out here and beat a guy like Rob Font, who is just such a litmus test, man to to gain entry to the top five so i want to see what kind of chaos cheeto can can create here because like i said you try to go jab for jab with rob font you're losing that fight but if you can you know show that patented durability that trademark toughness and go out there have that fuck it moment and just let it let him see what you're all about let him see that ecuadorian pride and spirit I think we might see something with this Cheeto Vera guy in a five-round fight. So he's my fighter to watch. Well, guys, thank you very much for being here with me. It's going down Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Y'all saw my boy Leo in the back. Yeah, he's cute, right? Um, Follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Uh, Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify. All the places where we are available. I'll be back next week for the next card. I think the next card is shit it's already ufc 274 holy fuck um i'm also gonna be (laughs) you see this dude spamming the chat like bro like fuck off (laughs) but uh um i'm gonna be on clint's show on monday and then i'll be back oh yeah so dude i'm working on a jailton almeida interview his first ever u.s interview like podcast interview um just working on securing a translator Dude, Jailton Almeida, that dude looks so fucking serious, man. And uh, I hope y'all come and hang out with me and Jailton uh, later next week. And then and then obviously going to break down UFC 274. So I'll be back. Guys, do me a huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Comment on the video. Retweet my tweets. Share. All that stuff. All those little things you guys do help the show grow tremendously. You know, I don't have you know all these big websites fucking out here you know backing me i'm doing this all by myself man because i truly love this game and i truly love uh entertaining you guys so thank you guys so much for being here with me i appreciate it and until the next time let's cash these bets